G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. Well, we've been talking so much about Anzac Day and the importance of this particular centenary of our Anzacs arriving at Gallipoli. And there are some very significant things that are happening by way of the way that the church sees Anzac Day. One of those special things has been a tour that is set off around Australia called Their Sacrifice, a tour that's set up from the Bible Society with some very historic and very important Bibles. Well, one who is an expert on those Bibles, John Harris, who is the curator of the Bible Society's collection of historic Bibles, is joining us to talk about the importance of these particular Bibles. John, welcome along to 2020. Thank you, Neil. It's very good to be here. Well, John, you are the expert when it comes to these Bibles, and something like five to 6,000 Bibles in the Bible Society's collection of historic Bibles. When it comes to Anzac Day, uh, which ones are you most particularly excited about? Well, Neil, within our collection, there's a subgroup of Bibles which have seen military service. And... Uh, these have sort of sat there without uh, their moment arriving until right now when we suddenly realised what a treasure we had there and how important it was going to be for the Bible Society to to make these available for people to see uh, in this sort of Anzac Day commemorative year. I mean, there's some absolutely fantastic uh, Bibles there with with moving and inspiring stories, and we're just so proud to be able to present them. Now, the moving and inspiring stories come down to these Bibles being responsible even for the saving of the lives of some of our Anzacs. Tell us about the story of the Bible with the bullet. Well, this is um, Lieutenant Elvis Jenkins' Bible. Uh, he exchanged his Bible Society issue uh, Bible with someone in Egypt for a French Bible. There was a Christian French community there in Alexandria where the Australians went to train. And he carried this French Bible, as indeed all servicemen just about carried their little Bibles, pocket Bibles, in their breast pocket, over their shirt, over their heart. And that's where he carried this this Bible. And on what he says, the 6th or 7th of May, um, he didn't write down in his Bible Uh, when this event happened until a week or two later, on the 6th or 7th of May, he was shot in the Bible. Many people fell around him. He received the bullet, the shrapnel bullet, uh, in the Bible. It was sitting backwards in his book. Now, it wasn't a full Bible. It was New Testament and Psalms. It was sitting backwards in his pocket. It went through the New Testament and through Revelation and right through Acts and stopped at John's Gospel. And so the family have always said he was saved by the gospel. John, 
John, you like to reflect on that story, and there's a physical benefit of the Bible there saving a life. But when you reflect on the deeper message that's within the Bible, and you know, talking about John's gospel and, uh, and about why all of those young men who were on their way potentially to their death would be carrying this little book, this New Testament, uh, that gave such hope. How do you reflect on the value of the Bible to each of those individual soldiers? Well, Neil, the modern-day generation, when perhaps we've you know, departed from uh, relationship with the Christian church, people probably don't realise that almost every young man and woman who went to Gallipoli, all of them, would have been baptised Christians. They would have attended Sunday school and had religious instruction, and the Bible was something familiar to them. And so when the Bible Society gave out to all serving Australians these um, little Bibles, which were often given out by their local church, the Bible Society would supply them to the local church, and the local church would hold a ceremony to farewell them from the town, and they'd be given one of these little Bibles, and they took them gladly. We gave out, I understand, between the two wars, um, something like one million. And I know that the British and Foreign Bible Society in London gave out nine million of these. And they were carried by people. And these people, in many cases, found great comfort in reading those Bibles in moments of stress and of need and of loneliness. And so the message... You know, God's message, the living word of God, was was being carried with them. And the point you raised about Elvis Jenkins' Bible and the Bible saving his life, well, of course, um, that is a physical thing. And there are other people whose lives were saved in other ways or whose lives were not saved. And we're not trying to pretend that somehow the Bible was magic or that God especially saved his life with the Bible. It's just a story that draws our attention to the fact that this was a man to whom the contents of the Bible mattered greatly. Now, you certainly answered my question because I can imagine in the minds of some people that all of those soldiers at Gallipoli carrying a Bible... Uh, in today's mentality, for a lot of people, people might have thought, well, they might have been carrying that Bible as some sort of a good luck charm. Uh, the fact that it's just a, you know something that they keep in their pocket and, and hope for the best. Uh, but what I was asking you, and you answered it, and you might like to enlarge all the more, is that, is that these young men were actually interested in the message that was in the Bible. They were encouraged. They were comforted by the words of Jesus. They were, they were actually upheld because they were interested in the Word of God. I believe that to be true. I mean, we can't be unrealistic and say that, you know, every serviceman always read their Bible and all that kind of thing. And, of course, that's untrue. That's not even true to say every Christian you know, reads their Bible even today. But what is true is we know that they accepted these Bibles gladly and we know that very large numbers of them read those Bibles. Often they had nothing else to read, nothing else to do sometimes in the trenches but take out a Bible and and read it. I mean, there's all sorts of other stories there. It is said that the uh, paper was nice and thin and you could actually smoke it. 
Yes. And we've heard of people who actually smoked the whole Bible, but, um, you know, they were men and you expect them to do blokey things. And these were strong and courageous men and reading their Bible is not something that they were embarrassed or ashamed to do. And not all of them, but many of them did. And many of them found inspiration and comfort in it. That's right. The Bible has many uses, not only the encouragement and uh, the uplifting in a time of great trial and life-threatening circumstances. But as you say, uh, it's even uh, useful for smoking and, uh, and, right. and for saving your life if you happen to have it between you and the bullet. Yeah, uh, John Harris. an interesting story about that. We have given a lot of publicity to this Bible with the bullet. And uh, just a, a few weeks ago, it was taken to to Ballarat by a Bible Society field worker who was taking a church service at Ballarat. And at that service, an old chap in his 90s got up and said, well, I've got my dad's Bible from the First World War and it's got the similar story. It's got shrapnel in it. And he has since loaned that Bible to us. In fact, um, probably he will leave it to us in his will. But this is another Bible where a Christian person, a dedicated Christian person, um, carried this Bible. And, uh, and this Bible did save his life. It has little, little piece of, pieces of metal shrapnel um, in the Bible, uh, which were lodged in there on the explosion of a shell. So... Um, that was a, a wonderful coincidence to us because we were able to get a second Bible that had saved someone's life, which enables us not, again, to claim that somehow God specially saved those two men, uh, but that uh, it just helps us to remind people that the Bible was there, part of what was happening, and to many people the Bible mattered. John Harris is curator of the Bible Society's collection of historic Bibles. Between five and 6,000 of those historic Bibles. John, stay with us. We'll continue our conversation in just a short while. Well, as we approach Anzac Day and the centenary of the Anzacs arriving at Gallipoli, John Harris is our guest talking through some issues with some very historic Bibles that are at this time on a tour uh, the tour is called Their Sacrifice, and in many Westfield shopping centres around the nation, between now and Christmas time, there'll be opportunity for people uh, throughout the nation to have a look at some of these Bibles. John, when we talk about the importance and the value of these historic Bibles, there's a story attached to these Bibles. I guess when the Bible that you have in your care has a story, it becomes all the more valuable. Tell me about Lieutenant Morris Little and his story. Well, Lieutenant Morris Little was a, a young man from Queensland and uh, he was at Gallipoli and he was involved in one of the very terrible battles at Hill 60 uh, and at one point where the attacking forces, the, the Turks, had come very close and were in a trench that was only a few metres away he told his men to cut the fuses short on their, uh, well, they were sort of homemade bombs. They used to make them out of jam tins and fill them up with, um, you know, nails or any other kind of thing. Today we'd call them IEDs, I think they do, over in the Middle East, you know, um, uh, improvised explosive devices. And they say, cut the fuse short because then it will explode immediately when it hits the ground in front of someone who's running towards your trench. 
and his men did that. But when he cut his fuse short and lit it, uh, it was so short that it blew up in his hand, and he was terribly injured. He lost uh, he lost the use of a leg. He lost an arm. He he lost his eyes, uh, a lot of his face, but he remarkably remained alive. So terribly disfigured, and was I guess then taken to a field hospital. Well, he was, although on before he left, he managed, he said to his men, I think we're winning. And he asked the stretcher bearers to carry him to the major, his, his senior officer, because he wanted to report on the bravery of his sergeant. And he felt that no one would report it if he was taken away or if he died. And he was then taken to a field, as they called it, a field hospital, a field ambulance, they used to call it, if it, if it was movable. And from there he was taken to a hospital ship. Uh, both his eyes were excised. And then he was taken to the military hospital at uh, Alexandria in Egypt. And remarkably there, they made him comfortable, but they felt that he would not live. A, a Christian nurse was serving with the Anglican uh, Church Missionary Society in the Sudan, was having leave, and she said, instead of leave, I'd like to go and work in a military hospital. And so they sent her to the military hospital in Egypt. And there she specialed Morris Little and uh, nursed him back to life. And the wonderful story is that uh, three months later there, they were married. Um, he was carried down the aisle on a chair, by his mates and they were married there and uh, as I've said in writing it up and uh, and it's the truth it was a marriage born of his desperate need for care and of her desperate need to give it so blinded lost an arm and a leg and eventually married the nurse from the field hospital that's right. And they went back to Queensland, where he became a very significant person. He, he was a well-known public speaker. He went around encouraging um, young people to, to join the war effort. He spoke in churches, um, and he worked very hard for, for the welfare of returned servicemen and women. And he became president of um, the RSL, I think, in Ipswich. Uh, we are very privileged to have one of the volumes of the Braille Bible that he was given by the Bible Society. Because he taught himself to read Braille with one hand, to type with one hand. He wrote poetry. He was a remarkable Christian person and he never... He never blamed God. He, he was hopeful right to the end that, that we believed in a God of hope and that God would never give up on us. John, our diggers carrying these Bibles into battle, and some of them to their very last day on this earth. Tell me about the role of chaplains uh, as they would have been in World War I 
in encouraging these young men because I guess the chaplain, uh, he would certainly have had to understood uh, this message that was in the Bible. What sort of an encouragement would a chaplain have been to young men who had grown up and, as you say, in Sunday school circumstances and just trying to understand the circumstance they found themselves in? Well, I think today people don't realise the importance and role of the chaplain, although... I will have to say, in dealing with the army uh, about our exhibition, I find that that the people I speak to are adamant that the chaplain is a very, very important person to them, and uh, it'll be there will never be a time when they don't have army chaplains. But it was a fairly new thing, the permanent chaplain uh, in the First World War. But uh, that's where we sort of have the beginnings of the kind of uh, chaplains as a as a recognisable group. And when they landed that, well, when the ships came into Gallipoli, they said to the chaplains, don't go ashore. Because then the uh, landing forces presumed that it was going to be a quick effort. It would all be over in a couple of weeks. And so they said to the chaplains, don't go ashore, stay on board ship, um, you know, for a couple of weeks. And when things have settled down, we'll let you go on shore. Well, at least two chaplains... The Catholic, one of the Catholic chaplains and Presbyterian Andrew Gillison said they didn't hear that message and uh, went ashore. Uh, chaplain Gillison is the one I want to tell you about, and he was sent back. But he managed to get ashore the next day because the commanding officers realised how much they needed the chaplains. They were suddenly surrounded with a degree of death that they just had not expected. And why they needed the chaplains, well, well, there was a practical issue of burying the dead. But there was the other issue that they needed to say to the men in the person of the chaplain that these men would not be forgotten. Like these chaplains doubled their stretcher bearers. And they, the presence of the chaplain said, we will go and get you. Whether you're dead or you're wounded, we will go and get you and we will bring you back. And if you're dead, we will give you a decent funeral. And this was a huge thing for the morale and and, and so on of the troops. General John Monash, in charge of the Australian uh, infantry forces, he said a wonderful thing. He said, the nurses and the chaplains are indispensable. The nurses tell the men that they care about them and the chaplains tell the men that God cares about them. There's an eternal dimension to what the chaplain shares in his message and of course encouraged to each soldier according to what he already understands about the God of the Bible who loves them. The tour that's going around, Their Sacrifice, and the book that people can get a hold of, and the website that people can go to, John, this is a great time, isn't it, to immerse ourselves into some of this history, which not everyone will talk about, uh, this particular centenary of the Anzac uh, landing. Uh, but how do you encourage people to take advantage of this opportunity while, uh, while, it's, while things are in this state? We're talking about these things today. I think that people will be missing out on something if they don't 
at least try to go to this exhibition or download the uh, material which is on the Bible Society's site or try to purchase the book. And um, although Christians should know this part of their Christian history, this is not just something for Christians. I mean, this is something which is part of Australian history. And the Defence Forces are very supportive of what we are doing because they recognise the significance of these stories and they recognise the significant role that the Bible Society has played from the Boer War up to today. And we still give out Bibles to those who want them, the ones with a camouflage cover. And we've got a story of one of those at exhibition too from Afghanistan. So it is a really, really important opportunity. And for the next couple of years probably, we're travelling around us. Australia uh, to a supermarket near you, <laughs> somewhere <laughs> yes. in a Westfield uh, supermarket, which we're very pleased that they've been able to, willing to sponsor us in this way. And I guess people can simply Google Bible Society and you'll find some detail there. There'll be a link for you to find out dates of where the Their Sacrifice Tour is coming to a Westfield shopping centre yes. near you. Uh, you can also get a hold of the book from the Bible Society. It's called Their Sacrifice, The Brave and Their Bibles. Our guest, uh, John Harris, the curator of the Bible Society's collection of historic Bibles, five to 6,000 Bibles in that collection. And, of course, uh, John is uh, part of the St. Mark's Library, uh, the rare book room where people can actually see those in Canberra. John Harris, great talking to you. Thanks so much for being with us today on 2020. It was a privilege. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts. Or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.